Hello and welcome back to the TLC podcast with me, Venus Libido. And me, Natalie Byrne. Before we start today's episode, I would love to have a moment of your time to promote my new GoFundMe as I'm currently trying to raise some money um, and support funding for um, my endometriosis surgery to see a specialist in endometriosis. So if you do have um, a spare few pennies to give and to support me on my journey then please head to my bio link on my instagram or go fund me where you can type in venus libido and find me on there much appreciated and love you all in advance for helping we've got some really exciting live recording events of the podcast coming up first one for january um on the 21st at 5 30 will be a live recording of the podcast on a zoom event which you can all attend to um and it's going to be a gofundme party and we will be talking about endometriosis everything to do with endometriosis and surgery and we will also be joined by a very special guest called ariel fox who is also an endo sister of mine um, and she has currently been very successful with her GoFundMe and she'll be talking to us about the process. So please join us on the 21st at 5.30. Find tickets to the Zoom link in our bios on Instagram. Today we are joined by Henry James Garrett, formerly known as Drawings for Dogs on Instagram. Henry creates cartoons using animals or objects to explain complicated political themes. He is illustrated for the New York Times, BuzzFeed, London Pride, and even Meghan Markle. His first book, titled This Book Will Make You Kinder, is a beautiful guide for developing empathy and being a kinder you. Welcome, Henry, and thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We are both such huge fans. I have been for a very long time, and I know Natalie has as well. So we really appreciate you coming on and talking to us on our podcast today how are you feeling well thank you very much for having me um i'm a respected fan of both of you as well so how lovely yeah <laughs> um i am feeling a little glum um because my dog is poorly um i'm in a pretty bad patch um she's very poorly she's been poorly for three days now and i am nervous about that i would say um yeah. and scared um but there is a little glimmer of hope and we're trying not to be too optimistic about the glimmer of hope but uh you know that's where i'm at also there is a lot going on in the news and the world um yeah. and i think you know it's kind of weird because i'm very distracted from it but it also still wheedles its way in doesn't it and and contributes to your your mood yeah and we were talking about your dog before we started recording mm. but we were saying like how precious these like little creatures are to us and yeah. how much these like a dog like my dog's obviously a therapy dog and most people buy dogs because they're amazing for therapy yeah. and your mental health so when they're not feeling well that completely messes up that whole kind Absolutely. of trust you have in them of being there to support you when you need to support <laughs> them and that's a lot of energy isn't it absolutely and, and she's actually not here and hasn't been here for the last three days and like she would usually be like this presence in in the room right now she'd be like snoring or something and mm. I'd be able to hear her and like when I eat my lunch I'm like oh where's Billy because you know um but yeah I mean you know Billy has been I mean I've talked about this a fair amount but Billy has been very important in my 
health for the last 13 years. I would say she's, um, we actually got her, um, she was like my family dog growing up, um, but we got her when I was 15 um, and I'd been begging my parents to let us have a dog for a long time. Um, but when I was 15, I got um, very ill and I was off school for a year. And that's when my parents kind of finally gave in to my, <laughs> my request for a dog because they thought that Billy would be like very helpful at that stage. Um, and she was, and then she was very helpful, you know, at numerous stages throughout my life. And she came to live with Kitty and I a year ago because she had been living with my parents up to that point. But then we moved into a rental place that let us have a dog, which is obviously very rare yeah um and so yeah billy's been with us for a year now and she's you know she's been really good for both of us um yeah and been really good for both of us um in the time of covid as well um i think you know yeah, yeah having th there are lots of things that change your circumstances of course with regards to like this pandemic yeah um and mental health and i think you know um living situation is a massive one of them and yeah. you know we were very lucky to have billy move in just before this all started mm. how do you feel natalie you don't have a dog i feel like you're left no. out here <laughs> no i don't i'm so desperate for an animal there's a cat yeah. that visits my like garden and every time i open my curtain i'm like mm. begging it for, to stay basically yeah. <laughs> um, i just want wait, to steal the cat yeah wait hang on i don't know actually this is one thing i don't know about you i think i've asked you in the past but i've probably forgotten are you a dog or a cat person natalie you're gonna say cat, aren't you? I, I would have guessed. Yeah. So you know, I, 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 am, I would have bet money on it. <laughs> I am more of a cat person, but my personality is like a cat. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like accurate. personalities that are more like dogs like lean more to dogs. Um, yeah. But so in my twenties, um, I became more of a dog person, especially working from home. Mm. And my boyfriend has a dog, and I'm so jealous of their relationship. I want that basically yeah. <laughs> it is a beautiful relationship mm. it's amazing and I love I've got so many dogs I've had dogs since I was little um and I will always have dogs but it's always that awful fear that because they only live to look well roughly on average 13 14 15 it's like it's horrible that you have so many come and go throughout your life and it's mm. it all means so like the relationship you have with every dog is so different to the next one um mm. like the dog before the one I have now like she literally got me through my teenage years and my like tw early 20s and she was the most amazing dog I've ever had in my life and then the dog that I have now like the relationship I have with him is so different and so unique and it's just it's such a it's such a weird thing isn't it that every dog you have like this weird energy with this different energy every time yeah I mean I I find it hard because like I I know that some people listen to this sort of thing and are like, you know, what are you talking yeah. about? You, you sound ridiculous. What it's just a dog. But I can go like to the, the full extreme because I am, you know, Billy is like, you know, not just a dog to me. Like if someone yeah. says that to me, like, because yeah, like it, it, it's, um, it's a relationship, you know, it's, um, it's a relationship with a sentient being who has a, a personality of their own and mm -hmm. has their own like wants and, and needs and desires um and they express those and, and you have to like live alongside that and um yeah and it, it really feels like you're you're living with with something with a consciousness you know yeah and you are you know and yeah i love her 
Uh, it seems like you've got Billy at a, a significant time as well where that was like yeah I think that's made yeah I think that's made our our connection even stronger because it was like a, a year of um isolation for me like I, I spent you know I wasn't going to school so I didn't see um my school friends much like maybe like a little bit but I was mostly seeing my family and then um also Billy and uh, so we were we got very close in that time um and yeah she was like this yeah emotional support but also like yeah I think um what Venus was saying like there's um I think it's a partly to do with feeling needed by the dog as well like you know I think we uh, humans are so much about like you know needing both um someone to give love to and someone to re receive love from and I don't think you can really do without either of those like I don't think if you were just receiving loads of love that would be that good for your mental health compared to like the ability to also show love and express love and and I think yeah when I was that poorly there wasn't much I could do for anyone and so having a really needy puppy who actually needed me to do a lot and to prevent her from you know harming herself which she was very good at for the first couple of years of her life like turns out daffodil bulbs are deadly poisonous to dogs um there are lots of things that just happen to be deadly poisonous to dogs yeah. which they should put in a manual when you get a dog <laughs> but yeah she was you know a, a real mischievous puppy and you know so it, it was it was that sense of um i think it was her cheekiness her naughtiness that um that made it, her so important to me mm. because like I was I felt very needed uh yeah oh it's so beautiful we well, can't we talk did... about dogs yeah the whole episode. I, know. <laughs> I, was gonna say, I was gonna say we did say this before we start recording that the whole episode we would just end up talking about dogs but mm -hmm. we do hope that she gets well bless yeah, her and we're crossed, sending her lots crossed. of love I'm seeing her at six o'clock and uh seeing the vet and we'll, we'll see where she's at she's yeah. she's very poorly but she's on the upward trend oh, um, and if good. that upward trend continues she'll be okay yeah. but well, we'll we're, we're thinking of her so much um but yeah let's let's um move on to talking about your work and um your book because that's very very important um uh tell us a little about for those who don't know who you are or don't know your mm. work tell us a bit about your work and what inspires your drawings and like how you came about starting doing what you're doing yeah, so I'm, I guess people kind of think of me as a cartoonist, maybe that's what I'd say. Um, I do um, cartoon drawings of usually like two animals or objects talking to one another, um, saying initially like amusing things, but now probably more like not so much focused on the amusing, but more like um, making political points. Um, uh, so they're like political cartoons, but they, I think what people notice about them is that they don't include humans, they include um, like animals and inanimate objects that have been anthropomorphized and say um, highly, you know, verbose things <laughs> to one another. Is that a good summary? What do you think? Um, but yeah, 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 from that, from that, the big thing of last year for me um, of 2020 was that I wrote a book um, and that's um, like a lot of my writing um, is sort of maybe 60, 40 writing to, to illustrations. 
Um, and I don't think that's necessarily what people expected from it. I think maybe people thought I would just do a straight illustration book, but I never had any intention of being an illustrator or a cartoonist. Um, I think the, the thing I thought of myself as for the longest is like, well, like a, I wanted to be a philosophy professor. Um, and so that's like a lot of writing. Um, so, I, so I now want to be seen as like a writer, but that's not really where my career is at right now but if I could you know if I'm manifesting <laughs> um I'd I would like uh I'd like people to see me as like a writer one day and cartoons is one of the ways in which I present my writing you know well, you are an author now so yeah exactly you're there yeah. and yeah. your captions on Instagram were always just so full of information and beautifully oh, written you. so yeah, I think that's that gave me some confidence, the way people responded to the, the captions. When I started to see people were like screenshotting the captions as much as the drawings, that made me like really happy, like really excited. Like, oh, maybe I, maybe people are responding to the writing as much as the like cute animals. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the pictures are a great way to like capture people's attention and then the the text is there to because you talk about these like huge complicated things that mm. um text goes so well alongside the drawings um people are learning from it and sharing it and i'm so excited to have your book and it's such <laughs> a wonderful piece um of art that you should be so proud of and it's oh, just thank you absolutely thank beautiful you. um i wanted to go back to what you said about your first kind of vision for yourself was to do mm. something completely different than yeah. um, make cartoons and I wanted to know about how did you go from from one to the to the other was it an accident or or how yeah, did that happen? This is very much an accidental career but now my dream career um, so like it is like a very I, I feel very lucky and very grateful about how things have turned out from things not going according to plan you know um, so basically, yeah, I think maybe since I was mm, 16, 15, maybe I, I kind of had this idea, like, can you write things that make people behave better toward one another? Can you, can you um, write essays that convince people, that argue people into it? Because I was very argumentative as like a teen and that was something that my dad really encouraged in me um it's like a lot of uh, uh arguments at the dinner table um and so i was like could you argue someone into being kinder um more moral um and that sort of solidified into this idea of being like a philosopher like a moral philosopher um and having a career in that where you would write um you know uh, scholarly articles and would those like you know fuse into the public consciousness and make people better you know which is obviously very ambitious and not necessarily why everyone goes into moral philosophy they think everyone has that that same idea but I think you know there are a fair amount of people who do who do go in with like quite positive intentions um but yeah I did my undergrad and that went okay um it was hard um and I was definitely anxious there but in my I didn't get very far in a PhD and sometimes I feel a bit guilty sort of describing it as a 
you know, oh, I dropped out of a PhD because at that stage it's actually called an MPhil. It's the, your, your first year of your PhD and you kind of convert to, anyway, that's like kind of a technicality, but um, I, um, I was doing that uh, and, you know, I had to write um, a very long essay about uh, moral philosophy. Um, that was my job for that, you know, for at least that year. Um, and I got very, very anxious and had to suspend my studies initially and then I dropped out. Um, but alongside this story, I was doing cartoons, but like not very seriously in any sense. It was like, you know, um, if I wanted to do uh, a birthday card for someone in my family, I might draw a couple of dogs talking to one another or something. Um, and I got to be doing more of that in sort of my final year of my undergrad um, when I was trying to like procrastinate from revising for my finals. Um, I was doing a lot of drawing. Um, that's probably the most productive I ever am is when I'm avoiding doing something else. Um, and then once I suspended, I was like, suspended my studies. I was like, I'm, I didn't know what I was do doing. So, and also, I don't know, there was a bit of pressure from, I felt from my parents, um, where I was like, where they were like, what are you doing? And, um, I decided to try and take the cartooning more seriously and see if I could turn that into a job. Um, but it didn't look like this initially. It was very much like um, I, I started doing, it was more like just dog jokes. It was drawings for dogs at that point and I was only drawing dogs. And the dogs were saying funny things to each other but they were more like aimed at being, you know, crude humor about dog poos and stuff like that. Um, and I was trying to sell those as greeting cards um, and I was printing them myself and going down to St. Nicholas Market in Bristol um, a few times a week. And I would carry this like huge, heavy table. Um, so that was kind of me like trying to do something, you know, I was like, oh, I've got to do something in this time because, um, you know, you know what we feel like. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, it's just morphed through the time. And I think once I knew I wasn't going to do philosophy, at some point I knew I wasn't going to do moral philosophy, I was like, okay, so my cartoons have to become a bit more about moral philosophy and my understanding of moral philosophy has broadened as I've learned more, um, particularly from my partner Kitty and they've become more overtly political. And um, and that, so that's sort of where we, where we ended up. And then I got to do a book and I was like, okay, my book is gonna be what I was going to write in my philosophy PhD, but a lot more accessible to a much wider audience and it's going to have some drawings in it so that you know people who like the drawings will give it a go and they have and they've been really nice about it so far so you know yeah you're very lucky <laughs> but oh, also when you tell a story great. like that like it sounds i don't know like this thing happened and then this yeah, thing happened. <laughs> there's always a danger with stories like that that it all sounds like so perfect and neat yeah. and stuff like that but like at every stage on that you're like is this I should right? probably stop doing this. Yeah. I should probably, you know, go get mm. a job. Do you know what I mean? And, and things are more difficult and things take longer yeah. than it sounds. I don't know. I just think we've got to be careful with like our self-narrativizations. Um, because when we say that, someone listening is like, oh, oh it's that great. easy. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, when really there's a whole... And that's years of, of work, isn't yeah. it? And yeah, it was, it, was a long, it was a long time. I mean, I, I feel very lucky and, and very grateful i'm not saying like oh you know it was much more 
difficult than that. It was just it was much more unlikely than than all that, and it was much more uh, messy than all that as well. Like, um, mm-hmm. and there were lots of other considerations along the way. Yeah, it's like what you said was like a montage that just like flashed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like little scenes. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like yeah. a montage from a movie where you're like, okay, how can we make each scene just capture the bare minimum that makes mm. it seem like a really lovely, exciting journey, mm. you know? But I guess social media plays a part in that because I get that question quite a lot. Like, oh, how did you get to where you are? Like, it must have mm. been so amazing. Like now looking at where you are and your achievements, like well actually if I was very honest about how I got to where I am it's very dark and I just don't necessarily always talk about that because we do like to just show the best bits and when we are describing our kind of career um, and our experiences on how and our journeys it's hard to always kind of relate back to how we got there in terms of like oh actually you know I was in a really dark place and I Mm struggling at uni or I couldn't pay my bills and like we don't always talk about those things because we we want to just tell the best bit yeah yeah we tell we do I think there's people like a, a struggle but they like a neat struggle yeah do you know what I mean like as in yeah. like you can definitely tell a story where you're like yeah like oh I, I dropped out and then I was like you know what am I going to do next and stuff like that but I guess it's it's, it's messy of that I don't know what the the messiness I'm pointing to is it's just that there's lots of waiting there's lots of being lost waiting, there's lots of yeah um Self-doubt. Oh, I should probably do something else and also you at some stages I probably should have done something else do you know what I mean like I haven't less and also none of us probably I assume feel like we're there either no I don't feel like I don't feel like I've arrived this is definitely no. this is the meeting you have made it Henry it sounded like you know that was the at the beginning, the middle, and the end of yeah. the journey, right? And and now we're at the end, and and we all live happily ever after, you know. <laughs> oh, I wish, I wish, yeah. I wish. But the, the making a book is like um, the most. It's the most. Is the how do I phrase this? Most people will have a goal, and the most yeah. popular one is to make a book that. That's absolutely received true. I well. Have, I have succeeded in one of my huge unrealistic goals that was like very unrealistic in in you know 2015 five years ago um when I you know might have said like okay what's someone said like what's your dream now I might said like to do popular philosophy book you know and it's so beautiful what you said about um creating an academic paper in comparison to like a book that anyone can buy that has drawings in it because mm. that is the thing about the academic world even though there's such great thought um often who gets to read that it's it's probably you know in in up against like some type of paywall or mm. written I mean I read my dissertation like a few years after I wrote it <laughs> I don't understand anything <laughs> um and I know a couple of people have said that too um so yeah I love that this is accessible and yeah. drawings in it because um, absolutely we love those I, I think I think it's interesting because I think everyone finds philosophy interesting mm. particularly moral philosophy um so like why don't people talk about it more um and I think that does have a lot to do with like yeah the history of moral philosophy um and how like elitist it is 
but also just like how specialist it becomes and like that happens to all of academia right that you get narrower and narrower and narrower yeah. and the longer these fields go on for and philosophy has been going on for a very long time um the more like specialist you have to be so if you talk to like someone in the moral philosophy department they would be like i am a specialist on this very very narrow tiny question and that's all i feel you know um expertise to to talk about you know and it would be something so mundane that you couldn't explain it to someone outside mm. of moral mm. philosophy because you'd be like why why would you how would you end up interested in answering that question you know <laughs> how would you describe it to to someone who might have googled philosophy and still been confused by it <laughs> describe f- philosophy the field yeah how would you describe uh, like define I- it I I had a more mm. specific question actually yeah. about this because it says in your bio that mm. you um, were doing a philosophy on empathy and meta ethics. Mm. I, 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 I want you, I'd love you to just. Okay, I love this. I, I've done, I've done, this is, you know, this is my spiel that Kitty's, <laughs> Kitty always rolls her eyes at because I do it so much. Um, so, moral philosophy is split into I mean there are loads of subdisciplines within moral philosophy but the the biggest like divide is like a three-part divide between um applied ethics normative ethics and meta ethics and those are different levels of abstraction uh, meta ethics is the most abstract questions applied ethics is the most concrete practical questions so applied ethics might be questions like um is abortion morally wrong? Um, the answer to which is no. Um, is um, eating meat morally wrong? Is do you, do you see what I mean? It's it's like very specific questions. Normative ethics is a level up from that, and it's like um, what theory or theories can we use to sort of capture the morally right and the morally wrong? Um, or is like theorizing like that entirely redundant, which is like another normative ethical position. Um, but that's where you get like utilitarianism, virtue ethics, Kantian deontology. And these are different sort of systems that you could use if someone said like, is killing right or wrong? You might be like, well, as a utilitarian, I think that, you know, you have to weigh up um, the consequences in terms of um, perhaps in terms of happiness and sadness, you know? Um, Metaethics is even more abstract than that and asks questions like what do we mean by morally wrong in the sentence is killing morally wrong like mm. what um, what are we predicating of an action that's a fancy way of saying what are we um, saying about an action when we say that that action is morally wrong um, what are we sort of ascribing to that action mm. um so yeah metaphysics is the most abstract part of moral philosophy and moral philosophy is where we go to ask um in its broader sense moral philosophy is where we go to ask questions about like how people should behave and why they should behave that way fascinating absolutely fascinating i'm like taking all this in and i'm trying mm. to concentrate so hard because i'm not <laughs> someone who is very like intellectual at Did all I go too speedy? I no like i was quite speedy because no, like, oh, no it was good know. it was good you're just speaking to like the two kids that will probably be sat in the back of the class like 
Or yeah. it, it's, 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 I feel like I'm, in, I'm getting a, a university education right now. No, I love it. I, yeah. I think it's fascinating. And I love oh, listening gosh. to people describe things I have no idea about. And things um, that people are pumped about, right? Because I, yeah. I am still pumped about it. I do still think that there are lots of um, interesting answers within it. And also, like, there is a dangerous thing with, like, my book where, like, I, it's not very good moral philosophy, I have to say that, because, like, it's not fair to all the other positions. Um, but, like, so what? <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> no. I mean, I say that in the book, right? I say, like, you know, um, this isn't really a good introduction to like metaethics or anything like that because like and I point to some some texts you could go to mm. find like a good introduction to metaethics. Um, I don't have the space and or or really the interest in um, uh, outlining the whole field as it yeah. currently exists because the, the way it currently exists also seems mad to me and I think it would seem mad to a lot of people um, mm. if they came to understand it they'd be like how did it end up looking like this you know yeah what was it like when you you found out that someone was like, yeah, let's make a book? Like, what was that feeling like for you when that kind of opportunity came your way? Um, yeah, incredible. Um, it was uh, quite a long way. The, the first step is getting a literary agent. Mm. Um, and that happened, well, that, take, that took a while as well, actually. Um, but once that happened, I was like really excited. Like, oh, you've got a literary agent. Um, it's probably going to happen and there is some truth to that like it is one of they are the the probably the more selective gatekeepers of the of the field um but then we waited a long time and I was actually pitching another book um which um because I was like I can't do my dream book first and this was kind of conversation with my literary agent that like you're probably not gonna have to do your dream book first you probably have to do something a lot more clearly marketable Mm. um so I was doing a different book um and I was sending it out and then yeah I got two calls at, at the same time um from publishers or my agent did and was like you know let's have these two meetings um and one of them was Penguin in the US so we had like a a call with them um but yeah there was there was a long wait for that and then it's like you know two buses came at the same time but one of the buses was a lot more exciting than the other bus <laughs> um so yeah it was it was an incredibly exciting time I was like oh, this is outrageous that this has happened and we celebrated a lot Kitty and I like at, at different stages we tried to celebrate this like an, an awful lot because I do think if you ha- if you have dreams you have to enjoy them when they arrive and it's actually it actually can be quite hard to um, and I think that's you know probably especially true for people who are self-employed um, that sometimes you, you you miss your dreams coming true like dreams Mm. you would have set yourself when you you first started out on this journey because they're your job as well you know and you're and there's lots um of anxieties going on and you're you're still trying to get it right like you know the I was like all right well because I pitched with non-fiction you tend to like not finish the book first you like pitch it as a proposal um you've maybe written the first chapter but mine ended up changing like an awful lot after that stage um so I was like now I actually have to sit down and write this thing <laughs> um and since like you know last time I tried to sit down and write my dream project I ended up having the worst anxiety in my life and dropping out oh. um it was so it was very very exciting and I tried to like really celebrate it but then I was like this is pretty scary as well yeah. well this is what me and Natalie spoke about in our last episode that's just come out right. about self-sabotaging and talking mm-hmm. about 
these monumental um, things happening in our career and not really acknowledging them happening and yeah. then being like, oh, okay, what's next? What's next is such a bit, such a hard thing because you do need to work out what's next yeah. um, as someone who's like trying to make a, a living out of this sort of work. But you, you have to find a way to enjoy mm. um, the cool things that happen. You have to find a way, especially yeah, when it was your when it was your dream, when it was something that you were like, this is what I want to do. Um, yeah. When it happens, you've got to be like, yeah, this is what I wanted to do, and I'm really glad it's here. And I think we've we've done a really good job of that. We've done. I think it's about marking things, you know, because like, um, so I, all I mean is like you know that night we went and had a, co- a special cocktail you know and and but just before the book came out we went on a um a little trip to Hastings um do you know what I mean and it, it doesn't it doesn't have to be like you know obviously we couldn't have like a book launch or anything like that and that may have made things feel a bit more real but we just tried to make it feel very real on the day um and I think we did a really good job of that we had a really really good book launch day despite um not being able to see anyone <laughs> well that's the thing that is well i'm the worst at, and venus always yeah. catches me out is like celebrating everything and it's yeah. I don't know where that comes from i think so many people struggle with that but i am yeah it's almost like getting getting the things that you want don't for me i've never looked like how I imagine them and they present mm. themselves with new challenges and new anxieties, new worries. And then you have to actually do the thing or maybe yeah. it's stressful and all of those things. So it kind of, um, what do you I'm, think, what, what do you think works for you, Natalie? Like as, as a way to, if you were celebrating an achievement, like what well, actually when like? I got my award for the book I did, I literally yeah. was just like, okay, put it to the side and got off in my day. <laughs> and it was when um, we weren't in lockdown and my boyfriend picked me up and he had bought like this like really nice pink bubbly I don't know yeah. what it is but it was pink yeah. sparkly yeah <laughs> I was like oh that's really nice um and then my mum got me flowers so I think things like that I think because people around me know that I'm bad at being like I'm gonna go celebrate um yeah, being around that sounds... people Venus as well was so great that and... sounds so important yeah people who you know mark mark it even if you won't um because now you'll remember those flowers and you'll remember that bubbly do you know what I mean you 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 that happened now um that sounds wonderful yeah it sounds like you've got some people who have really good and telling people as well that I'm bad at being like I'm not not really good at like taking them yeah exactly they've you've told them in advance like how this works for you um and that gives them the opportunity to to be there for you in a way that you know it does sound very necessary because yeah you have achieved so much and um yeah it's also that thing of like there's a, there's a you know 16 year old version of Natalie who's looking at you and like being like wow she's she's made it mm. and like obviously you know more and there are some little nuances that like y- you want you would want to say to her but at the same time there's part of her that's right you know there is part of her that is like you you are doing some of the things she ascribes to you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So so it's almost a letdown to her if you don't enjoy Absolutely. them. You know? Well that's how <laughs> I, I got burnt out because I was just yeah. like next, 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 next. Yeah. And like people would say nice things, but it was never It was falling off you. It was like, yeah. like a um, back. Yeah. But 
yeah I think surrounding myself and like talking about it I always talk about it with Venus about how like terrible all my flaws (laughs) 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 um but uh going back to the book Mm um it's what was that writing process like after you you got the the opportunity what was that you know how did you manage your stresses and anxieties through through the the process of doing this big big Mm. task I mean I would say it's one of the better writing experiences I've had in my life and most of my writing has been like yeah in like university and school and stuff like you know um and I've always found it incredibly difficult and mostly left it very late um due to anxiety and like you know um it was one of the better ones and I think it was something to do with almost holding it back like for so long like I'd been stopping myself from writing this book because I'd been like oh you don't write it until you've been like um uh, offered a book deal and for me psychologically there's something that works quite well there like if I stop myself from doing something for a while sometimes it it suddenly is like oh I have to do it now you know um it kind of came out of me I think I'd been I think what it was it was on the the mental back burner so it was there was it was hard but it was like a good patch I think the once I'd written it and I was like okay now um you have to make this at a certain point you have to say this is done then it became really really hard um and I think Kitty was pretty essential in that um in like we would spend weekends reading it aloud to each other um and reread it a lot and just um yeah I think I've never been someone who's able to do like you know just get out like a bad first draft and then rewrite it which is the advice that everyone gives and it is like very solid advice because in the past I've needed the first draft to be completely perfect um and for some reason I allowed this first draft to be less perfect and and I did edit it but then the editing was very hard I mean one thing that really helped me was antidepressants Mm. um and like this sounds like you know another like perfect anecdote but I um started on antidepressants um actually soon after I suspended my studies I think maybe I hadn't even suspended yet but I was still very much in that like philosophy mindset and I like they take a couple of weeks to kick in and two weeks after they kicked in I wrote two essays in two weeks and I hadn't been able to write anything for (laughs) um months like I I really had been staring at a blank I didn't write what I was supposed to be writing and that was still too difficult um Mm. But I don't know, there's, I I think they've really helped me get over a a level where just enough, you know, it's still hard, but just enough so I can actually get something out. And that captions Um, in the Instagram bit as well um, mm. has allowed like me, I know in myself like to experiment with writing and in a a way that feels like less pressure, which I'm I'm assuming helps That's a really good point. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I think when you've, and when you've had a bit of positive response to your writing that you weren't really thinking of as your serious writing, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's about finding a way to let yourself take it less seriously for a bit and then see how it goes. Um, and then hopefully that builds up the strength to take it a bit more seriously at some stage. Yeah. Yeah. 
but that's hard you know and I've always found that really hard because I take myself far too seriously when I sit down to write anything well that's why accidental careers are so common because it's like when you relax and you just follow your curiosity absolutely that yeah it's for me it's the things that I don't think of myself as good at have always been a lot easier when I think of myself as because you start to define your identity by like I'm the person who's good at so I think I really struggled because I was like I'm the person who's good at philosophy um, good at writing essays um, that became such a big part of my identity that it became terrifying to actually write an essay because maybe this would be the essay that proved that I was wrong about that so if I don't write it I'll never find out <laughs> that was the kind of fear of your own logic. success and, and fear of your own failure at the same time yeah yeah that was kind of the internal logic of it well you've um, done it so well done. Yeah, well, I've done, yeah, I've done, a, I've done a weird version, and I'm I'm pivoting again right now. Like I think that's the thing as well, and I think you probably both do this in your creative careers. Is when you get stuck, you have to do a little pivot, um, towards like, like sometimes you have to press through, but sometimes you have to find the path of least resistance. Um, and in the moment, I'm switching over to a completely different form of writing. I'm trying to write a screenplay. Well, actually, I wrote a screenplay. Um, I'm trying to write my second screenplay. But again, I was like, this is kind of a joke. Like, it's it's lockdown. Um, and I like I don't know what to work on because I'm waiting for my book to come out. Um, what can I do? Oh, I'll, I'll have a little joke and I'll pretend I'm writing a screenplay. Oops, I wrote a screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> I did the exact same thing at the beginning yeah. of lockdown. I wrote a TV I, show. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I did that with private parts and I did my yeah. I was like I really want to do I'm just going to start writing it and then it happened I was like oh it happened like, <laughs> that's amazing yeah so funny it's, um, it's like a psychological yeah. trick we play yeah. on ourselves because part of your brain is still thinking like I really want this to happen <laughs> you know like I really yeah. do actually want this to be a real thing but there's no uh, like uh, expectation and mm. um, deadline mm. yeah um, okay, so we're going to move on to a segment where we basically put out um, on our social medias that we're going to be speaking to you as a guest. And does anyone have any questions for you? And then we pick the best one. Hmm. Um, and we have a question from someone. Um, are we saying their name? Or are we just... I think so. Someone, someone called Sophie. Um, and Sophie wants to ask you, how do we stay gentle in a tough world? Um, that's a great question. Um, and I think it's something that lots of us struggle with but it's difficult because the world is nowhere near as tough for me as it might be for Sophie and as I know it is for you know lots of other people so it is something that I find it hard to give advice on because my advice is coming from such a you know a privileged position and I don't know if I would have stayed soft I am a, a very soft boy. <laughs> um, I don't know if I would have stayed this soft and gentle um, in different circumstances. Um, and if, you know, I'd been, uh, you know, yeah, if I'd been oppressed on the basis of my identity in uh, in ways that I'm not, you know. Um, so, but I don't want, you know, that to be my whole answer. But that that's a lot yeah. of my answer is that sadly, I'm not proof of the ability of people to say to stay 
gentle under the toughest circumstances because I haven't faced the toughest circumstances. But when I look around in the world, I do see some people who have managed it in the most, like, you know, the most oppressive, most tough of circumstances. And that's where I take my inspiration from. And like, I think I think you also have to think about what what gentleness consists in because I like you know there are certain forms of softness that I don't want to embody you know like I don't want to be soft in the way that you know a centrist is soft in you know the political landscape in which we currently exist I don't want to like be a pushover when being a pushover is entirely morally inappropriate um, but the sort of softness that um, that means that you don't um, respond to selfishness with selfishness of your own um, is something that I, I do want to continue to practice. And yeah, as I say, I do see people who um, face far tougher circumstances than me continue to practice. Um, I think the trick to doing it is maybe maybe something to do with asking yourself who you want to be in this world um and um and what you think would actually make this world a better place um and maybe i think some people genuinely decide that they would be better off making this world a better place um through hardening up and you know being hard and sharp in all of the ways and some people may well be right about that um but i have decided that a certain type of softness is what's required of me and i think lots of people make that same decision um and so it's about yeah asking myself in each circumstance where whether i think that's that holds or not and, and trying to trying to come back to that and, and and it's about habit as well i think lots of our behavior is more about habit than like you know really conscious decision making it's about making a conscious decision to try and form the habit of being soft um and it's about finding people who you can be soft around because i think that's um a big part of it is that if you only surround yourself with people who or if you're unlucky to find yourself surrounded by people who 100 percent of the time punish your softness it would be a mistake to remain soft right but if you can find some people who reward your softness um, and I think, you know, those people are around and I think they're around most places, but um, the tougher your circumstances, the more selective you're going to have to be about that. Right. Like I met with softness from a lot of avenues. Um, but when I'm at my, my softest, I get um, softness in return from my favorite people. And that is what trains me to continue to be soft. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's lovely. That's a really lovely answer. Thank it was a long-winded answer. It's the hardest thing to do, isn't it? Because especially if someone is being, I don't know, rude or aggressive towards you, mm. it's like a reaction is to like mm. toughen up, get cold, maybe, mm. you know, give that same energy back. But mm. I've noticed, especially in lockdown and living with family, it does take so much control to be like, you know, I'm not going to retaliate. I'm mm. going to take a moment to breathe. And maybe I'm going to 
reach out for a hug because I know that maybe that's what someone needs it's mm. takes it's like a lot of um yeah energy to it to like you have to stop and and put mindfully do it because I think humans their instant reaction is to be like well don't, but I think your I think your instant, instant, yeah I think your instant reaction can change over over time if if you right. if you every every time do that but as I say like it, there are circumstances where it's not the right idea right but like but I think there are more circumstances where we think you know hardness is required but not actually softness and it's about where we turn our softness to right like um and and who 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 merits our softness. Um, but yeah. we, we have to have softness left to give to them yeah. and I never feel good when I get into an argument or shout back or retaliate it it makes me feel worse That's than the if other I thing. take a moment yeah. to breathe and then you know try and... some of it is purely pragmatic it's like it's like what works for me um and yeah I I've I found that you know what works for me is um yeah and what I less regret it's in the engaging with you know lots of people softly mm, yeah um well we have one final question before we move on to the last segment of the mm. show um and because the podcast is called the tlc podcast and we talk mm. about being lonely and looking after our loneliness um our last question is um do you feel lonely and how do you deal with your loneliness mm. I feel lonely today because Billy isn't here Um, and uh, that has been actually a very weird feeling of loneliness. I I am lucky enough to for my like living circumstances and I do think living circumstances they said have become so important in this pandemic I'm lucky that my living circumstances don't um, make me feel isolated because I'm living with my partner and I think we communicate um, really well and we make it each other feel you know not isolated in a time where you could you know definitely feel very isolated very quickly um but I have felt lonely um uh I think I was I think I was probably at my most lonely at university and I think this has been a theme that's come up in your podcast is is like you know um loneliness at university is that right um and I've I don't know. I think, yeah, I've I have felt lonely. Um, I have I've I felt I I miss my friends. Yeah. Um, right now for sure, and I miss casualness of you know encounters, um, and I miss strangers to a certain extent. And I'm quite a socially anxious person who doesn't often mm. get a lot from strangers, but I'm a big fan. I get to feel a lot less lonely. I don't need much social interaction day to day. That's something I've realised about myself. But if I go for a dog walk and I do that nod of recognition at another dog walker and they do a nod of recognition back, <laughs> I'll go home like, I had a good social interaction yeah. today. <laughs> that, that's I me totally sorted that. for a week. <laughs> I totally get that. That's so true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, um, I, miss, I miss my friends a lot, but I'm not feeling... I'm not feeling that lonely because of it. Um, mm. But I, yeah, I definitely have felt lonely. And I, I felt lonely when I've been around people. And I think that's, you know. That's an amazing thing to admit, though. Yeah. And this is why we do this podcast, because you can be lonely and be surrounded by people 
um and it's why we talk about this because there's lo loneliness comes in all different shapes and forms um and I, we think it's so important to admit loneliness um, i think so many people are lonely i'm sure i'm sure that you yeah. do but yeah i think you're right it does it comes in it, it, and it's about it's not about how many people are around you it's about the nature of your relationship with the people around you and the nature of your relationship with yourself yeah exactly. you can have amazing relationships that you're not getting anything from because you're in a bad space for yeah. whatever reason yeah well we're yet to meet someone who doesn't feel lonely so if anyone's out there that doesn't feel lonely we'd love to speak to you see what's going on how you're managing it <laughs> um but moving on to the final segment of the podcast we always ask our guests one thing that's made you smile in the last week that's got you through a difficult time it can be absolutely anything so to help you out me and natalie will go first so natalie what has um made you smile this week I have. Um, I watched that the new minimalist documentary that's on Netflix. Um, okay. I've not heard about this. What's this? It's like it's quite short. It's it's like fifty minutes long, I think. But it's all about. It's great if you're like wanting to declutter your space mm. in January. But I loved it. I followed the minimalist for quite a long time, and they did a a film before, I think, quite a few years ago. Um, but this is like it's mixed in it just talks about capitalism and it, I feel like it's just a, an, an, an excuse to be like you don't have to buy anything like mm -hmm. it's a nice reminder to be like don't feel pressure to buy things buy things buying things won't make you happy and I don't know yeah. it's just a nice when someone just says we says those things that you know mm. um, but it's beautifully shot really well edited um, I felt like it was one of those documentaries that kind of gives you the energy to be like oh I'm gonna go and like clean up and get rid of some things I don't need or um be really intentional about everything that's in my space so yeah I really enjoyed it um even though oh. what I said about it talks about capitalism <laughs> it actually sounds like it's, a, it's more exciting than I like when it leaves you with like a, a motivation or a newfound like yeah I mean, that's yeah. like the best thing that art can do, right? It's like leave you with a a vibe that actually changes your your behaviour. Yeah, it's called The Minimalist. I think so. I'll put cool. it in the show okay. notes. I'll check it out. <laughs> yeah, sure. um, okay, mine is... Mine's always so much more cruder than Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll, I I say this every week, every time we do the podcast, like I love comedy. So mine's always some form of comedy and I've started a new tv show that my friend Anna who a lot of you might know um who runs this story jewelry we have very similar tasting like comedy and tv shows so I've started watching this show called pen 15 so when you look at it it spells penis but it's about these two women who are adults but they play they play the characters of if they're in like high school like middle no they must be teenagers like 13 12 13 like going into puberty and it's just so funny because they talk about all the things that girls go through, like the first time they masturbate, um, being attracted to boys, wearing thongs, um, pretending like they're drunk when they're not drunk because they don't get in trouble with their parents. It's just hilarious. Um, and I'm quite fortunate enough that I've got Sky and it's free on Sky, but I'm sure you can find it online somewhere. But it's just it's just so funny. Like I love it so much. So that's what's been making me smile. Um, Henry, what has made you smile this week? Um, well, I was going to say that 
when Billy was looking a bit better yesterday, that made me smile super hard. But not all of my answers can be Billy related. <laughs> so I um I painted my desk to see in this new year. Um that was like a a really fun little project. I actually did it on like New Year's Day. Um I started it and I was like sanding it down and like putting on the primer. Um and it's now uh, a beautiful farrow and ball shade oh pink. lovely I'll give you a little oh, look oh, oh my Definitely god I want to paint my desk that is nice see it? Can you get yeah that is lovely pink glow kind of hard That's to tell what nice pink thing. it is but it's called calamine and I got these little sample pots from farrow and ball so it's actually not you know very expensive lovely fancy paint bit of furniture uh, renovations great for anybody it's making me feel well, it was making me feel very New Year-y, but now mm. I'm, I haven't done much this year because I've been worried about my dog. But um, I was like, you know, yeah, definitely like when you work from home, um, you need to shake up your workspace every so often. I Absolutely, think, and, you know, yeah. And be like, All right, new intentions, new, you know. Yeah, new yeah. year, new desk. Look at my desk. There's also a uh, little yellow thing here. Oh, I like that. That's cute. Yeah. Um, so for everyone who wants to find out where they can find your work, where can they find you? What's your socials? Tell us everything. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm Hen Henry J. Garrett now on um, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Um, but yeah, I'm really Instagram. Instagram's the only one that really works for me. And where can um, people get the book? We need to tell people that. All, all good bookshops. Um, yeah, I'd, my favourite would be for you to go to your local indie, but obviously most, well, none of us can go to our local Zillindies now, but you can mm. call them and they can get it in for you and they can post it to you or you can maybe pick it up. I'm not sure if we're allowed, even allowed to do collection now, but, but you can definitely get it from any bookshop. They can order it in um, also online. And if you're going online, you can use like bookshop.org.uk because that supports local indies. You can also use Amazon and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, in a yeah. world that feels so, as so divided and mm. awful news last night um, that mm. I won't get into, but yeah. I think that this is a beautiful book. I think especially if you're struggling to fi find any hope mm -hmm. mm. reading this, just like I haven't finished it, but I already mm -hmm. feel excited about changing something that I can control. Mm. um so i'd super recommend um to pick up henry's book yeah. really thanks kind. so much for being a wonderful guest on our podcast oh, yeah well, thank you so much it was thanks really lovely to chat on. yeah no i thought it was going to be really nice to you know to chat for a bit and i was correct yeah thank you so much and thank, thank you, you to all the listeners space. and thanks for joining us yeah. today we hope you've enjoyed it and we will see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. Bye. Uh...